0: who belongs to God it's not that commitment to the church saves you but it's that commitment to the church marks you as one who has been saved when we were working our way through the book of one Peter I mentioned about the time I was visiting missionaries and ministry leaders in two countries where it is dangerous to be a Christian Um, One of the first things the organization said Uh, That I met with at first was that when they have new missionaries coming to join the organization, they will typically encourage them to write an explanation letter. So if they're kidnapped and killed, uh, the media in the West won't write them off as some naive Christian who didn't know what he or she was doing when they went out to that country, but instead would understand that they knew full well what they were getting themselves into when they went to that country as a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was paying for water in an airport preparing to fly from one country to the next, a man approached me and with the most fake and put on English accent said to me, you're an American, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, in this man you're with, that's that's your dad, isn't it? And I said, no, it isn't. And I began to think to myself, well, Hugh, you should have written an explanation letter because you're about to be kidnapped and killed. And he went on and on. And eventually I just stopped him. And I said, I'm sorry, who are you? And he just leant in and said, you can call me Sherlock Holmes. And so this poor wannabe Sherlock Holmes had taken a few looks at me, he'd used his powers of deduction, and he had come to all sorts of wrong conclusions about who I am on the basis of what he could see. But an unmistakable mark, an unmistakable trait of a true believer is true devotion to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That raises a question though, doesn't it? Because the question that raises are, what are we actually devoting ourselves to when we devote ourselves to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or or, or we could ask the question, what is the church about when the church is functioning the way Jesus Christ intended? Well, our passage in Acts chapter 2 is going to answer that exact question This morning do make sure you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2 and let me just say if you're here today and you're looking for a church and you're asking what is HEC about you need look no further than the passage We'll have today in the book of Acts. The, the life of the early church is what I long for. It's what we ought to be praying for when we pray for this church. Because when churches echo or when churches mirror or reflect what we will see today. At the end of Acts chapter 2. They become the dearest places of all. As one pastor put it some years ago. And let me just say if HEC is your home. Let me say this, resist the temptation to isolate our passage today in the past and instead pray it down for our present today. Now last Sunday we witnessed the explosion of the church didn't we on the day of pentecost jesus had completed his work of redemption in his sinless life his substitutionary death his burial his glorious resurrection his ascension to the father's right hand he had poured out the holy spirit on the 120 believers to empower them and to equip them for ministry for them to fulfill the mission of making disciples of all nations and as all nations found themselves in jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, they heard the mighty works of God proclaimed in their own languages by the enabling and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Peter then took to the stage and he clarified for the masses gathered that what was happening was in fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 in Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And the church went from 120 people to 3,100. 120 people. 3,000 souls added in one day. And this morning, as we come to the end of Acts chapter 2, we get ourselves a glimpse or a snapshot or a peek into what life was like in the early church. It's as though we will put a stethoscope to the chest of the early church and hear its heartbeat. See what it was all about all those years ago the point of our verses today is the spirit filled church is marked by devotion the spirit filled church is marked by devotion and we're going to see number 1 by teaching uh, to teaching rather number 2 to fellowship and thirdly to worship first to teaching look at acts 2 verse 42 Luke writes, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, of all the things for the early church to devote itself to, why the apostles' teaching? I mean, just drop your eye down to verse 43. It says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I mean, why not devote themselves to that? Well, last week we saw that the Spirit of God filled the church of God to preach the Word of God. And the result was 3,000 new children of God being birthed. And just as it is the Word of God that births new children of God, it is the Word of God that sustains the children of God as well. In fact... It was none other than the the apostle Peter who preached the sermon that brought into being 3,000 new children of God who went on to write these words, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And again, the word that creates faith is the same word that sustains faith as well. This is what every believer knows instinctively. It's the point I was making to the children earlier, that a soon-to-be mom might find herself drowning in cute baby clothes and support and help from friends as they come around and redecorate the room and as they put together all these gorgeous color schemes for them to match so perfectly and so wonderfully. But the only thing that new baby cares about Is milk. They don't care about the colour scheme. They don't care about how cute the onesie looks. They don't care about how well the baby hat matches the onesie. No, no. They're going to scream your house down. Until milk is in their tummies. Like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And again when a person has been truly born again by the spirit of God. And through the word of God. They crave the word of God. The way a baby craves milk. It it creates their faith. And it sustains their faith. As well the spirit filled church is marked by devotion to Teaching. It's why the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3:16, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly." And he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, "I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom preach the Word." Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And the apostles' teaching not only creates faith and sustains faith, it primes faith in order for it to be shared with other people. Can I ask you the question, is it a a coincidence that our passage begins with the words, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and ends with the words... And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, when Napoleon Bonaparte sought to invade Moscow in Russia in 1812, he sent as many as 650,000 soldiers to the cities. They, they were opposed in Moscow by as few as 200,000 and so, given they had the genius strategy of Napoleon on their side, it looks like it was going to be an, an easy win. But because of a logistical failure with the supply line, the French soldiers found themselves without food, extra clothing, and extra ammunition in a Russian winter. The result was a colossal failure. You get the illustration? If there is a breakdown in the supply line of the apostles teaching into our souls, then we will not win the nations for Jesus Christ. It has to be in us before it is in anyone else at all. Now friends, you all know that I am an advocate. Oh bless her. An advocate for, uh, for the quiet time. But friends, notice here, that was, that was providential, I promise. Uh, But notice here, notice here how the context is a corporate context. Back in the early church, they didn't have fancy leather-bound Bibles with chapters and verses or anything like that. It was a corporate yielding, a corporate devotion to the word of God in the teaching of the apostles. And so I want to give us two practical recommendations for for us as we seek to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching as we find it in the New Testament letters Sunday morning and Sunday night and Tuesday night as well and the first is this come prepared to listen and receive. Uh, friends what I mean is this if we go to bed midnight or past midnight on saturday night and then expect to have our lives changed on sunday morning we might be asking for the wrong kind of miracle very often the sharper the mind the more receptive the soul come well rested come well caffeinated and also secondly listen prayerfully do you know, we, we, we live at a time when we, there are so many good books, so many good resources, so many good podcasts, so many good seminars, so many this and that to help people preach well-exegeted, well-balanced, well-structured, well-outlined sermons. We, we live in a day when you can listen to the greatest preachers in the world at a few clicks of the button on your smartphone. And the danger of that can sometimes be that we become sermon connoisseurs Why isn't Hugh like him? But friends, the danger of that can be we so often analyze the bones, we forget to eat the meat of God's word. Rather, what we should be doing is sitting there listening with a posture of the heart that says, show me, Lord, what is really here. For me to live for your glory, With all of my heart, mind, and strength, feed me the word here. Whether Hugh's on top form or really struggling, show me what is here in the word of God. The Spirit-filled church is marked by devotion, number one, to teaching, and number two, to fellowship. Look with me at verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, And drop your eye down to verse 44. Luke writes, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The Spirit-filled church is marked by devotion to fellowship. In other words, the Spirit-filled church is devoted to one another. The Spirit-filled church is devoted to to one another and can I say this evidently meant far more than a custard cream and a cup of tea after the Sunday morning service this was fellowship that hurt this was fellowship that cost us something and if we were to ask the question why was that such a prominent feature in the early church allow me to ask that question with with, with another question And my question is this, who is the head of the church? The head of the church is the one who, though rich, became poor. So that we might become rich in faith. The head of the church is the one who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it's why the Apostle John would go on to say this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him he does how does god's love abide in him little children john writes let us love not in word or talk but in deed and truth this was a fellowship that hurt a little bit now friends here's what these verses are not teaching These verses are not teaching communism. Notice that in verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves. And then verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. This was a voluntary generosity. Communism is when the government enforces wealth distribution on the basis and assumption that the government owns everything. Well, this was a voluntary generosity. But friends, here's what these verses do mean. When hearts are full of the apostles' teaching, they will be full of compassion and hands will be open to any as has need. Let me say that again. Full hearts, open hands. Anyone want to belong to a church like that? Chrysostom said this. This was an angelic commonwealth. Not to call anything of theirs their own. Forthwith the root of evils was cut out. None reproached. None envied. None grudged. No pride, no contempt was there. The poor man knew no shame. And the rich man... No haughtiness. I remember hearing a pastor some years ago getting his closest brothers together in the church and he had made a copy of the key to his house and he gave a copy of the key to his house to every one of the key leaders in his church and said, what is mine is yours. I trust you. And he said, when they left my house, It was like we had done church for the first time. Because what we read here in Acts chapter 2 had been expressed in that living room. Now friends, for this to be a reality among us, it is going to take some courage. And here's here's what I mean. Maybe you're the one that needs help. And you're going to need some Holy Spirit courage to admit that you're in need of help but you can do that because your identity is not found in the possessions that you own but in the saviour that owns you and those of you able to meet the needs of others are going to need some courage as well because when your heart is full of the apostles teaching your hand is going to have to be open to those you have need And that's going to take some courage. But you can have that courage because your identity isn't found in the possessions that you own, but in the Savior that owns you. And so what you need, I can give if in fact I have it to give. Friends, this is fellowship that hurt. And if our fellowship doesn't hurt, we are doing it wrong. So says Acts chapter 2. Well, lastly, the Spirit-filled church devotes itself, lastly, to worship. Look at verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Drop you right down to verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So did you see that? Whether the formal services of the temple or whether the informal gatherings in people's homes, people receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising Amen. God and having favor with all the people. Now, it is so tempting for us to read these verses and to say to ourselves, sitting back on an armchair, well, that sounds wonderful. But friends, as we consider the church's devotion to the teaching, to fellowship, and to worship, what we are seeing here are the marks of a victorious church. And here's here's what I mean. Why do I say that? We read in verse 47 that the church had favor with all. And yet, we've read the rest of the book of Acts, haven't we? And we know that that favor didn't last very long. In fact, the means that God used to ensure his people would be Jesus' witnesses from Jerusalem in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth was suffering. So Stephen is stoned to death In Acts chapter 7, and from there the church is scattered from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But friends, think about this. As the church continued to devote itself to the apostles' teaching via the New Testament epistles, to fellowship and to worship, even as a scattered people, the church turned the world upside down. These are the marks of a victorious church. We don't need a smoke machine. We don't need anything else. We need the apostles teaching. We need real fellowship and we need real worship. Not the religious establishment of Judaism and not the political muscle of Rome could stop the learning, fellowshipping and worshipping church. Friends, that's a church I want to belong to. That's the church that I want to pastor. They worship their way to victory in the first century. Let me say now what I said at the beginning. Do not be content to leave this glorious description in the pages of ancient history. But pray it down for our present day. Leaving the results to the Lord. We want to be a learning, fellowshipping, worshiping church, just like the church at first. And I want to close with three practical recommendations for us to be that worshiping people that savors the Lord Jesus Christ above all things. And my first practical recommendation for you all is this take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. Why do I say that? Nothing creates the worship of Jesus like the gospel of Jesus. Nothing creates worship of Jesus like the gospel of Jesus. Do not leave the gospel of Jesus Christ on your seat on a Sunday morning. And go into the world and live however you please. Take it with you and be a worshiping saint. It was a crowded morning in Starbucks, one pastor writes. I was standing with several customers who formed two parallel lines leading toward the counter. As my turn came to step forward and order coffee, the young man serving smiled and said, Hey, how are you? For a number of years, I've been giving a particular response to that frequent question. I do it as a way of preaching the gospel to myself every day. I've also found it at times to be an effective opening for sharing the gospel with others. I used the words again that morning in Starbucks better than I deserve. Immediately, the guy behind the counter began challenging my self assessment. He was moved, I think, by compassion and a genuine concern that I was unreasonably deficient in my self worth. When I didn't buy his assurances, he seemed irritated. Finally, he challenged me Have you killed anybody? No, I told him, no, I haven't killed anyone. But I went on to talk about how serious my sin was. In that moment, I was able to introduce him to the doctrine of human sinfulness. Partway through the conversation, I turned to my right. The lady in the next line was staring at me with a look as if to say, I would recommend decaf. In fact, the entire place seemed to be listening to my explanation, I concluded by simply telling the young man, as I approached the point of tears, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I meant it. Do we do that? Do we take the gospel of Jesus Christ with us wherever we go? Dave didn't write that, someone else did. If you want to be devoted, Worship, take the gospel with you wherever you go, but also I want to say this: redeem your commute. I know for many of us a commute is a pre-COVID novelty, doesn't exist anymore. But for some of us it does. And some of us have 30 minutes in the car on the way to work, or 30 minutes on the train, we have 30 minutes on the way home. And my question for you is: what could you be listening to that could stir your affections? For the Lord Jesus Christ. And for you to be part of a worshipping church. A friend of mine wasn't boasting. When he told me that the only thing that plays in his car. Is an audio Bible. And so let's just do the maths for a minute. Let's say that you have An hour in the car every day, 30 minutes on the way, 30 minutes on the way home. And let's say you work about 47 uh, weeks of the year. That's 235 hours of Bible per year. What effect do you think that would have on your soul? Well, I think it would make your soul a worshiping soul as you hear the word of God with Jesus Christ at the center and also, share testimonies of God's grace towards you in informal and formal settings. See, none of us like to do this because very often the conversation is on something human and earthly and worldly. It's on the football, it's on the news, it's on, on something. And then you think to yourself, well, if I bring up something spiritual, eyes are going to be rolling and people are going to be judging And they're going to be thinking, oh, who are you to be the spiritual one among us? Friends, don't be intimidated. Instead, share it as a way of creating a trend in the church in hopes that worship marks us as that victorious early church, that learning, fellowshipping, and worshiping community. Glad hearts, generous souls praising God. The Spirit-filled church is marked by devotion. Friends, as we press on year after year, let that be more and more true of us. Amen. 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 Why don't we